0: Welcome everybody to No Harm Done. This is a podcast about improving, exploring and understanding and getting on with healthcare safety and quality. And you're here with your hosts, Cathy Balding and Kathy Jones. Balding and Jones.
1: Hello, Balding. Hello, Jones. Lovely to be here once again. Yes. We made it to three.
0: Number three. Yes, we is, did it. Is
1: it three, three out of three? That's yes. right. <laughs> yep. Three and fine episodes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, the podcast is, of course, designed to help you, giving you tips and ideas to perhaps save you time if you're on a quality manager or quality journey of any type. And uh, what have you been up to for the last month, Balding?
1: Well, um, I was thinking about this, uh, Jones, because, you know, as you know, I always try and have as much fun as I possibly can and do as many interesting things as I can. But I thought I would choose one thing to tell you about, which is. an interview I've done with Ambulance Victoria with their mm. uh, quality and patient experience team, which is uh, quite a new team, yeah. new incarnation, I should say, of a team. And I'm very fortunate because they are implementing my strategic quality model on, a, on across the state. Wow, that's state very Victoria. cool. It yeah. is very cool. And yeah. they are doing sensational work. I mean, I love it when people take the model and completely improve on it yeah <laughs> I just love that so I thought I'd mention it because uh, there's a link to the interview on my website oh, calm okay. and people might be interested in yeah they're just in their early stages yeah but you know, I love it when people are prepared to sit down and say, look, this is what we're doing and this is what we're trying and that might not work but we're going to give that a go and mm. this is how the executive's leading it and this is how we're, we're linking with people out there in the field who are, you know, doing mm. the doing the do every day. Yes. So hopefully people will find that useful in their own uh, organisations. So oh, please fantastic. feel free to have a listen. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm full of admiration for what they're doing. Very yes. nice to hear. And one other thing, Joe. Yeah. Last time you said you were looking for inspiration about a St Elsewhere's. Well, I realised during <laughs> during the course of the last month there's only one thing we can call our St Elsewhere's and that has to be St Catherine's.
0: Oh, of course, St Catherine's. What a great idea. <laughs> of course it does. St Catherine's Hospital yes. or St Catherine's whatever. Yes. Residential Sanatorium. care centre. Sanatorium. Yeah. We have all branches, don't we? St Catherine's Day Procedure, yeah. <laughs> St Catherine's Primary Care Team. St Catherine's Hospital in the home.
1: Absolutely, We've got it, baby.
0: (laughs) Every single possible care model you could possibly want. Oh, that's a great idea, of course. Well, that leads us straight into our quality quandary for today. We need a very important worker in St Catherine's, our health service. We have to have at least one of these people. And they're often called... They've got a number of different names, haven't
1: they, these people? Oh, do they ever. And that's part of the problem, of course, Jones. There is no... Agreed career path, there is no agreed job description, and there is no agreed job title for the humble but essential quality manager.
0: Yes, so we're calling them generic term quality manager today, but of course, let's go through some of the other possible terms. So, we have performance improvement manager, uh, quality coordinator.
1: Yes, quality director. Yeah. Patient experience, director, quality and safety, coordinator, executive director of the patient experience. Director of
0: innovation and quality experiences.
1: Yes, something to do with accreditation. Now, I must say, my pet
0: peeve here, I'm going to bring a pet peeve in right early, and one of them is... if you've got a job title, it needs to be short. The longer (laughs) the job title, the more annoyed you get as you increasingly have to remember which order the words go in. But also, you know, you start to abbreviate it to an acronym. No one can remember your title. (laughs) It should be short. That's probably why I tend to default to... Quality manager, even though it's not a great it's term, it's not
1: great, and mm. I do too. And mm. people will know if they they read my other stuff and look at my website, but they'll know because they'll be out there saying, "Now, Cathy, I know you call them quality managers, and I do." <laughs> yeah. But in my books, I refer to them as quality system managers because. Are ah. oh, you I'm, add a word? I'm trying. Yes. Approved. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't be very happy with that, <laughs> Jones Mayor Cooper. I'm trying to <laughs> differentiate between the person who runs the system. Yeah. 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 And the people out there creating quality care. which is everyone in our... Yes, with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, or in
0: fact, just the manager of the actual health service is probably the main person, but... Precisely. ...quality system. Yeah. Yeah. A quality system person. Yes. A bit like the IT system person. And often the IT people get these convoluted titles as well because no one can quite work out what to call
1: them. Exactly, yes.
0: Um, It is very interesting. What I was thinking about today is that we have lots of people managing our financial systems in organisations, those accountants or financial analysts, and we never expect them... To make the change, do we? We never, ever you expect so them right. to fix the financial no. problems. We just expect them to report on them, tell yes. us what our numbers are. Yes. And that's all. We never – I want one of those jobs. Yes. Well, actually, I don't, but, you know. <laughs>
1: well, I use this analogy a lot, um, Jones, particularly when I'm working with boards and executives, and I mm. say, you know, your, your finance person creates the system and the tools and the reporting – and their job, I think, is to give managers in particular every opportunity to manage their budget as well as they possibly can, but mm. they can't make them. No.
0: <laughs> no. And
1: similarly, a quality manager needs to give um, uh, leaders and middle managers and staff every opportunity to create high-quality care and then to monitor and measure how well they're doing with that. Mm. But they can't make them. No. And I think while whilst we hang on to that as a model... Mm. Uh, those roles are never going to be as fulfilling as they should be mm. and you're always going to have people running away from you in corridors which happened to me all the time when <laughs> I was a quality manager Uh-oh. and hiding in cupboards I to I, get away I, from I, I tend to
0: run away from the financial people. <laughs> Yeah, but that's maybe that's just me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I
0: think it's it's really true because sometimes it's just too easy to say, "Oh, there's this kind of projecty thing," and you know we've got no one to. I don't want to assign it to Fred; he's in charge of his ward. Let's uh,
1: let's give let's give it to Balding, the quality that's manager, right. <laughs> and it lands on Balding's desk. Yeah, and then <laughs> mysteriously everyone disappears and there's just balding and the new project balding and the new project balding who
0: has no responsibility for the 30 people who are supposed to implement this project they don't report to balding somehow balding is supposed to get this project done like magic
1: so every quality manager needs a magic quality wand of course it's the only way yes it would be helpful so so that the we should say that that the we've named this episode, episode three, uh, congratulations, you are now a quality manager, and we know that that can happen in many different ways, Jones. Yeah, well, look, that's the most common way, I think, that people get told.
0: <laughs> it's like, we think you're really good at quality. Up till now, you've been managing a ward, or you've been the chief physio, or you've been the health information manager, and you're really good at this quality stuff. Congratulations, <laughs> you're now the quality manager. We've got accreditation in three weeks. Yeah, so away you go. <laughs>
1: (laughs) Have fun. Yeah.
0: Uh, It does happen that way. It does happen that way. No, there are some really dedicated career people who are quality managers. Well, you're
1: looking at at, or listening to to two of them now, (laughs) fortunately. This is our choice. We choose this uh, vocation. We do.
0: But a lot of you out there may be listening just precisely because you did find out just last week (laughs) that it's now your job to be the quality manager and um, I've won one... Early bit of advice, and I know you've got some bits of advice very shortly, Balding, but my first bit of advice is you are the expert now and you will get along a lot better in this job if you even just pretend to be the expert (laughs) in this area. Don't don't sort of show anyone that you don't know what you're doing because you've actually got a reasonable amount of power here without even knowing anything. So just pretend you're the expert, tip number one. Now, I'm going to ask you, Balding, what would you wish that you knew when you first started
1: oh well I don't know about the pretend thing Jones I'm having a bit of a struggle with that but anyway I'll I'll process that and I might get back to you on that I wished well I wished I'd known a lot of things because when I started out I was was actually extremely lucky because I was part of a statewide push for um, standardized quality systems which happened in New South Wales over three decades ago may I say and as part of that, we but, they, have, got, but they haven't achieved it yet. <laughs> well, you know how it is. It, it's a it's a it's a Mount, it's a Mount Everest, it's isn't a it? Long term project. Yeah, oh, yeah, it is. However, that particular push, um, it was pretty good. It had a lot of good things about it, and that wouldn't be out of place now. But we got some training. Those of us who got regional um, coordinator roles, uh, which which I really was very fortunate to do because it kind of kicked me off in quality. Yeah. We got some great training and actually from ACHS at the time and so Mm. I was lucky luckier than many of the people I work Mm. with now who get really nothing what I wish I'd known is how to uh, craft my role and put some boundaries around it which is Mm. very much what we were just talking about and to negotiate that with my boss Mm. I had no idea how to do that I had no idea I should do that but Mm. when I see people now I you know I I call it the begging bargaining and brooding business Mm. you end up begging and bargaining and then when you don't get people to do what you want to do, you do a lot of brooding, mm. <laughs> which doesn't make for a happy person, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, um, I, I think that the smart money is on negotiating with your boss and saying, what are my deliverables and what are your expectations? And mm. let's be really, really clear. Because when that project lands on my desk, yeah. is that a priority When you have said that my deliverables and my priorities from your perspective are these other things. Yeah,
0: that's right. And then at
1: least you can have the conversation. Mm. Otherwise, I think you can just just be completely at the mercy of everybody. Mm. And it's not... You don't get to do what you want to do. You don't enjoy your job. And then someone higher up the food chain might suddenly say to you, well, you're not doing what we wanted you Mm -hmm. to do. And then it's a terrible situation, you know.
0: That's really important. What I would say is that you need to find out what your boss wants you to do. And I mean, a lot of people who are good at managing up will already know that's a key thing. But if you don't, the quality manager, and if you're out there and you are a manager in charge of a quality manager, the quality manager will go to the person who is telling them what to do and that will nearly always be the accreditation agency. (laughs) So if you don't tell them what to do as a manager or if your manager doesn't tell you what to do and you're a quality manager, you'll tend to go to the other people who will tell you what to do and that tends to be basically whatever the accreditation scheme yes. is that you are you know under and that's not always a great thing because you want to actually do what the co- the company needs you yes. know have we got are we a day procedure company that has a real focus on surgical safety and that's our priority not some other thing which we don't do much of yes yes
1: but it's and it's not as easy as it looks and I can see people getting overwhelmed, and I remember that feeling very well. I've, mm. I've never, ever forgotten it. Just So just to put a little bit of structure around it, I was, I was wondering how to do that. And I went back to Duran, which dates me terribly. Not that I actually remember Duran, those of you who are out there laughing. Because no, he no, because we he, think
0: you're talking about Duran
1: Duran. No. <laughs> <laughs> which also dates us terribly. <laughs> yes, <it does. laughs> we won't sing, Jones. Um, this is, so this is Duran with a J, by the way. Um <laughs> Post-World uh, War Two, he was one of the gurus along with Deming that went uh, to Japan and helped them uh, to sort themselves out and become one of the quality mm. powerhouses in the world. And he said, you know, there's kind of three legs to the quality stool, uh, which I find quite useful. There's quality control, there's quality improvement, and then there's a thing he calls quality planning, which... I, if you read a little bit about it, it's kind of the strategic element of quality, which I call strategic creation. What are we actually trying to do here? Mm. Now, I think what happens is that people get stuck in the quality control yeah, yeah, and then the quality improvement for the quality control. Oh, yeah, we've got yeah, a gap yeah, in yeah. our compliance, so we have to improve or change something to yeah, close yeah. the gap. And if that's all your job is, and if that's what you like to do, that's great, But if you want to be part of the strategic creation part of it, Mm. you have to deliberately set out to do that or you will just get stuck in the quality control. And I think Mm. a lot of people find themselves in the quality control element, which is basically accreditation compliance. Monitoring staff. Your company compliance, your departmental Mm. compliance. And... And suddenly this is not the job they thought they were going to have. No, it's
0: nowhere near as fun as when you're doing the more proactive stuff that you go to a conference and you see this wonderful project on falls prevention and you want to strategically bring it in Mm. and instead you find yourself sort of stuck on just the risk reduction or the the control exactly so
1: Mm. so perhaps you know some of you out there thinking oh I hate my job but I I want still want to be involved in quality perhaps if you could think of it like that is it that you're too stuck in the control and you can't find a way out or you haven't been able to to think about it like that maybe you can do some negotiating with your boss around that Mm.
0: Hmm. And your boss will have something in the strategic area that they want implemented as well, if you could just delve in and find that. Yeah, very, very good point. So I'll give you some practical tips. If it's your first week as a quality manager, and and let's face it, no one listens to this podcast except probably new quality managers. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? I have have 45 hospitals uh, that I look after. And at any given time, the 45 quality managers out there, all with different names and titles, but there are 45 of them, there's a good turnover of at least five at any one time are really quite new. And so we have a program at uh, Healthscope where we run them through a 16-week program, and it's just a teleconference once a week on a topic each week. So I'll just run you through some of the topics. Mm, great. So these are some of the things that you need to, as a new quality manager, make sure you've got on your list of things to find out about. So the first one is, uh, do you have a quality plan for your organisation? So is there something in, in your organisation called a quality plan? That's the first thing. The second thing is, do you have an audit program already? So if you come in fresh, there'll be some of these things already mm, in place. So work. you just need to go find what's already there. If there's nothing there, great, you've got a clean slate to work with and then you have to go to, uh, to Balding's books to find out how to do it. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, But there's probably something already there. So, go find out about your auditing program. Find out what quality indicators or key performance indicators or clinical indicators are collected. So, that's a third thing, the indicators or numbers that you collect around quality, like death rates or hemorrhage rates or whatever it might be. Um, The next thing is what meetings do you have to go to? And I just bring this up here. It's probably not the first thing you need to... You do need to find out about this at some point. What meetings do you have that you need to go to? Uh, You need to find out about accreditation... And this includes some real basic things like, uh, you know, you've got databases and logins and passwords to sort out when it comes to your version of accreditation, wherever you are. And you need to find out about those because you are now in charge of that, almost certainly. You need to work out what sort of quality improvement system that you want to use for projects. So is it a PDCA cycle that your organisation uses or is there something else, a PDSA or something else? You need to look at patient experience, how that's measured in your place. There will be something that's done already. Mm. So what I'm talking about here are things that are already in place that you need to go and investigate and find out about because they're probably in your bag of tricks. I know you talk about it as like a jigsaw box, don't yes, you? I do. to, yeah. Yes, I yeah. do. Uh, Another thing to find out about is how you manage uh, clinical risks or incident reporting, Mm -hmm. so that kind of side of things, risk registers, but generally just incident reporting systems is a really good thing to find out about. And then I'll just talk about uh, policies and procedures. Are you in charge of that? Is someone else? How does that system work and how, do you, how does that work and how does that happen? And then just as a final mention, you may also be the complaints officer. Mm. Just find out about whether you are the complaints officer as well. So, they're just a couple of little tips. This is what we cover in our kind of 16-week program in a bit of depth, but... They're things for you to go away and just suss out at your organisation. Even if you've been working there for ages, you may not know the answer to those questions. That's right. Now that you're the quality manager, you may need to know.
1: I think that's fantastic. Um, Jones, 16 weeks. So, that's a nice four-month sort of orientation. Yeah, and do you know what
0: else we say? In the 16-week program, that's great. As a new quality manager, you'll get to the end of the 16 weeks and you'll retain approximately... Five percent of it. (laughs) So what we say is that you will not feel comfortable in your job, and do not expect to for at least twelve months. And you will need to go to our orientation program four times before it sinks in. Wow! So you need to attend the uh, session on complaints management if you're the complaints officer four times before. You'll feel comfortable asking questions, sussing out, oh, that didn't work for me, whatever. So we actually require our quality managers to come to this for 12 months. And, of course, you miss a session here and there, so that then means you've seen the things two or three times Mm -hmm. or heard them because we tend to do it by telephone. And so, therefore, 12 months before everything has been done once. There's so many things in quality that get done once a year and you need to work out a year's worth before you feel comfortable and if you're still crying in your office after the first six months don't worry we've all been there you'll be okay it just takes 12 months just give it 12 months and you'll love the job we promise
1: but how how good is that jones for people and i know there'll be people listening to this who don't have that sort of support who've been dumped in those roles Mm. and very much as you said before and accreditation's coming up (laughs) and uh good luck with that um and that's why we see quality managers who perhaps aren't suited to the job because they they never get that systematic, well, I'm going to find out whether I'm suited to it or not. Mm. Or they are crying in their office, so they actually never get the opportunity in a supportive way to have a really good go at the job yeah. and, and, and know that, oh, it is going to take me 12 months. Mm. So, that's just fantastic. I'm yeah. really happy to hear that and there should be a lot more of it. Any CEOs listening – Support your quality managers and they will repay you.
0: Yeah, that's right. Particularly if they stick around. A lot of quality managers go on to, you know, further promotion in the organisation. It's a really good way of getting to know a place. Yes. Getting to know every single function and role. Um, Just a couple of things if you are on your own. Now, most quality managers are on their own in small places. Some places are lucky, you're part of a huge team, Mm. you get to learn all this stuff because there's 10 of you. Great, that's a big, big organization. But a lot of you are out there on your own and there's no one. Your boss doesn't even know what you're supposed to be doing sometimes. That's right. Um, You won't find anyone in your organisation who really knows what you're supposed to be doing. Now, and there's not many places you can go to online, uh, go to Balding's website, but there's not many places you can go online to find this out. So you do need to find, as I did in my first week, someone else who has your exact job in a similar organisation and go visit them. And they will welcome you, spend a whole day with this person. It might be a competitor hospital, who cares, but go spend a whole day with an equality manager, not a new one, someone who's been doing it for at least two or three years because they will just help you out. It'll be the best day you've ever spent in your life. And don't skimp on this. Do not not do it. If you're in a new job... Go find someone else in another hospital. It's a really good, yeah. uh, good great, way of getting it, Great,
1: through. great advice. Absolutely great advice. And and that's you know when I was saying before, I was so lucky because I was part of a cohort of people in New South Wales when I started out. We were all in the same boat. Now that meant we we didn't we weren't learning so much from more experienced people because there weren't more experienced yeah. people around. But at least we had each yeah, other. Yeah, that's uh, right. Because yeah, the isolation can be terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if you are a bit isolated and you can't find someone, you know your accreditation agency will give you some some quite good support. Yep. And certainly, um, in Australia, at least the the Australian Commission for Safety and Quality um, in Healthcare's website will give you quite a bit of structure. Mm. You can write your entire plan for the year based on what's on their website. So um, that's you know that's not bad advice to start with right. if you are on your own and you prefer. To, some people prefer to go to the internet for their advice, not necessarily you yep. know to go to people.
1: Yep. No, that's fantastic, Jones. And with that in mind, I have some tough love tips Ooh. for quality managers. Okay, here we go. Because I, I, as, as um, some people will know, I, I do um, do get down the tough love route a little bit with Excellent. quality managers. You know, I, I, I love them, but I see people who are not fulfilling their potential for lots and lots of mm. reasons. So here are my six top tough, tough love tips. Yep. Number one. Do not rely on passion alone. I can't tell you how many people say to me, oh, I'm so passionate, Kathy. I'm so passionate about quality. <laughs> now, so am I and I presume, Joan, so of are course, you. Of course, yeah. We all are. Mm. That's not enough to get you the respect that you need mm. to be influential. Okay, good tip. So be passionate but channel that passion into real skills and knowledge. Mm. So that's my first one. Number two, be useful. Mm. When you're always asking people to do things they don't want to do and I know that that beca- can become a big part of your job and as I said before and as as Jones said before if, you can't actually make people do mm. things when you have no control over them. So if that's most of your job have a chat to your to your um your boss because Often I find quality managers are kind of workarounds for weak managers who won't ask their staff to do things they Mm. should do, like meet standards, Mm. you know. So that is just a no-win situation. If you're in that situation, you need, need to go and talk to your boss. But so make yourself useful. Say what you mean, mean what you say and help people be better at what they do, and you will earn a lot of respect for that. Mm. Number three, balance the bad with the good. <laughs> it sometimes seems that your whole job is telling people they're not good enough. Yes, they haven't yes. done something, they haven't <laughs> done it on time, they haven't done well enough. Their results are bad. It's so depressing for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Um, there's quite a lot of um, literature now around uh, you know the complexity of healthcare and that finding where people are doing things well and finding out how they do it and spreading it is just as powerful Mm. as finding the bad things and fixing them. Yes, great. That is such a great tip. Yes, and how much more interesting and fun is that to do? Yeah. So balance the bad with good. Number four, get results. Whatever you do in your work, plan for some of it to be uh, some sort of implementation that makes a change, a a measurable change. Because in health, we love results. In fact, in human Mm. services, more broadly, we love results. Mm. If people can see, oh, that was like that, and now it's like that. Mm. Wow. Okay. Okay. That makes people sit up and take notes. I've proved it. Yes. I I can make a change or I can help other people make a change. The staff are better off. The consumers are better off. And and people will will pay attention to that.
0: Absolutely. Measurement. We will talk about measurement. in. I've tried to resist talking about my favourite subject, which is measurement. But yeah,
1: we'll talk about that in a later take. You've been very restrained, (laughs) Jones. Number five, be easy to deal with. Mm. so I know what it's like because you've got all this stuff to try and get done and accreditation's looming and the department's yelling for stuff and you're the bunny that's running around trying to get it out of people please note our conversation before about how ridiculous that is Um, show a bit of empathy for the people who are out there doing the do every day Mm. they don't come to work to help you achieve your agenda (laughs) and you shouldn't expect them to if you help them Create better care. Mm. They will help you. Mm. So I know it's can I know it can be hard, and it's easy to get blinded by the stuff you need to get done. Mm. But you know I do see many many downtrodden quality managers that don't have a lot of respect in their organisations because they're always um, whinging and and whining and kind of poking <laughs> people. In a very annoying way, saying, You gotta do this and you gotta do that. Yeah, you've gotta you know?
0: gotta got think, you know, this this person's asking, What's in it for me? Exactly. And you gotta you gotta find that what's in it for them yes. yep. and then appeal to that. You know what, this project that you've just half finished, it'll really save you time yeah. and it'll avoid this frustration and your staff won't whinge about this if you fix this. Exactly. And what's yes. in it for them? What's yeah. in it for their yeah. their improvement? Yeah, that's yeah. where the
1: smart money is. And number six, have more fun people mm. i know i know it's hard <laughs> they're hard jobs i totally get that jones and i are the people who actually really do get that yeah. but things that are interesting and quirky and creative catch capture people's attention way more than the dull and bureaucratic yeah, So yeah. get your facts right absolutely mm. but have a bit of fun with it mm. yeah
0: that's so great i love those tips they're fantastic thank you jones <laughs> Okay, this is a new segment, building. It is called Quality Tools or Wrangling
1: Quality. Wrangling Quality, yes.
0: Clever people have researched ways of improving quality. There's lots of tools and techniques we could use. And we're going to uh, mention the sort of tools you should have in your quality kit bag. So, what tool are we talking about today?
1: We are talking about the five whys, ah, Jones. Okay. And it's absolutely one of my favourites because it's simple, it's easy and it's powerful. And I love that combination. So you're going to tell us about the five whys, Jones. I
0: shall. So the five whys is a way of finding a root cause. Now, there are a lot of people who do lots of wonderful, sophisticated root cause analysis. And in some cases, you know, it's kind of legislated in some states of Australia. You have to follow this form and submit it to the Department of Health and that's all great as well. But the main reason of finding a root cause is so you can stop that same problem from recurring. So it's not to fix the problem that's already happened. Just say, you know, some terrible patient's fallen over, and broken their hip, and that's awful. We can't prevent or take back that broken hip. We can, we can fix it but we can't prevent it from happening. It's already happened. The five whys is to find a root cause to prevent the next broken hip from happening. How can we prevent this? And you can fill out the sophisticated form or you can try the five whys as a quick and easy way of coming to a root cause analysis. It's
1: a good way to get started, I find, because sometimes you're all sitting there looking at each other and and it can be a bit hard to get the conversation going, mm. you know, depending on the, the issue that you're discussing. So I yeah. find it's really quite a nice... Um, icebreaker almost
0: yes and it can be done fairly easily. It, the, the technique originally was uh, dates back to I think Toyota mm-hmm. and it goes back to uh, their techniques for improving uh, their production line when they're making cars etc however it's been used in healthcare for a long time so what you do is you ask why five times because the first conclusion you jump to is often just the easy answer. So here's an example. An example is uh, actually from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We'll put a link to their five whys tool in the show notes. And the example is, for example, here, the patient received the wrong medication. Now, there could be a number of causes for this, a number of root causes and there are a number of other tools you could use for this, but using the 5-why method, you would say, why did the patient receive the wrong medication? That's number one, why? The answer may be, the nurse did not complete the patient identification. The second why may be, why did the nurse not complete the patient identification? So you're delving a bit deeper. We're getting down a layer here. And the answer to that may be, the patient did not have a wristband. And so then that begs the question, Why? So you're up to the third why now. Why did the patient not have a wristband? The wristband had been removed perhaps for a procedure and not replaced. Uh, The fourth why, why was the wristband not replaced? And the fourth answer is the printer for the wristbands was not working. And then why was the printer not working? So we're getting deeper and deeper and deeper down here. And Why did the patient receive the wrong medication? Well, because the staff needed to support IT had been overworked and not repaired the printer, and no one had realised. So the answer to why did the patient receive the wrong medication was not just bad nurse wrap you over the knuckles, as it very rarely is. There was a more systemic er issue and a more systemic error, and if you do the five whys, you will come to that conclusion if you continue to ask. Now, sometimes it's not always five. Sometimes it's four or six, but... Roughly five whys will get you to your answer.
1: Yeah, that's great, Jones. And as people can hear, those of you who haven't used it, I know a lot of people listening would have used it um, Mm. either as part of a broader approach to root cause analyses or on its own for, you know, simply problems that people are trying to solve. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. Yeah, That's the nice thing about it. It's very straightforward. It also, I like it because uh, even in a workshop, um, if I'm facilitating something, people often jump to conclusions about things. Oh, this happens because of that. And yeah. it's just a nice way to bring people back and say, mm. well, hang on, let's just work through the five why's mm. and see if that is so.
0: Yeah, it's a really good way of overcoming resistance. Mm. So if you're introducing a new program, say, for example, you're saying, you know, uh, you have to improve your, your bedside handover, for example. And someone says, oh, I haven't got time to do that. That doesn't work. And then you can ask, well, let's go through the five whys. Yes, yes. You know, why? Yeah. Why doesn't it work? Yes. And that forces a person who's just introduced an obstacle to say why well, it doesn't work. Mm. And then you can go, well, but... But why? So if they say, well, I don't have time for that. Well, why don't you have time? Yes. Oh, because the forms we fill in are too long. Yes. Well, why are those forms too long? Oh, because they got given to us by this doctor. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so you start to sort of delve into the actual reason, which gives you a solution. It also gives the person making all the noise sometimes a way of coming up with their own solution.
1: Mm. Yes, yes. It's a nice way of identifying bar- barriers without sort of making it too confronting. Yeah. I think, yeah.
0: So uh, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement have a template for this so you can make it a bit more systematic, but it is a one-pager. So there's one page of explanation and then there's just one page of what's your event, so did something bad happen that you want to reduce, or what's the pattern of behaviour that's Mm -hmm. happening, patients keep falling over in the bathroom or whatever it happens to be, and then it gives you a bit of a structure why is that? Why, 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 why? Yep. And then at the bottom, what is the action that you might introduce? So not complicated at all. And that's the appeal of this one, really.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Jones. That's great. And it makes me just want to go away and run the five whys immediately. <laughs> you
0: can do this at <laughs> home all as well. I'm
1: inspired now. <laughs> I
0: had a five whys, an example for uh, for all those at home with, uh, with young children. So I'll give you my five whys. The first, the problem is... Why did my son not eat cereal for breakfast and instead ate chocolate? Ah. Okay, so that's your problem. Or chips. Yeah, (laughs) chips or chocolate. And so why, why did that happen? Because there was no cereal in the cupboard. Ah. Ah. Why was there no cereal in the cupboard? Because when they went shopping, it was not on the shopping list. Why? Why was it not on the shopping list? And there could be all sorts of answers to this, but... It was not on the shopping list because the parents typically don't eat the cereal and don't know that it's run out. Mm -hmm. Why don't they know it's run out? Because the child cannot write it on the shopping list. And so the solution there is quite different to telling the child that chocolate is inappropriate. (laughs) The solution is therefore, if your cereal runs out, little Jimmy, you write it on the shopping list on the fridge. We've introduced an improvement. There's a shopping list on the fridge. If you run out of cereal... You write it on the shopping list.
1: And we're going to teach you how to spell cereal (laughs) No, no, to to facilitate that.
0: (laughs) As long as you've got a good phonetic, and I have had the word S-E-R-I-A-L written on my fridge,
1: and it it works quite well. (laughs) Or perhaps an interpretive dance. (laughs) That's right.
0: turns out how old the child is. But this does work at home as well. Excellent, excellent. Um, Often if you're demonstrating these techniques to people at your organisation, it works to do a humorous or more engaging example but you can also go straight to the the patient just keeps falling over next to the bed because we're not answering the call bells. Let's do the five whys. Yes. Um, yeah. um, so, you know, that, that can also be helpful. So let's, I think we're done with that. But we yes. have a related topic it's we're going to move segue, on to. Actually. So let's pause really for nice. a moment and then we will <laughs> give you our next segment. So moving right along, we have our segment here called Dr. Doctor. Doctor. Which is Did Read, Do Read. And I think, Balding, you have a wonderful article here that is a nice segue from our previous segment.
1: Yes, our uh, Did Read, Do Read uh, for uh, this episode is Are Root Cause Analyses Recommendations Effective and Sustainable? An mm. observational study by Hibbert et al. And I know Peter Hibbert, and he's uh, very excited about this article, as he should be, because it's fantastic. Mm. Um, and it's uh, it was a study to assess the strength of root cause uh, analysis recommendations and their perceived levels of effectiveness and sustainability. And many of you out there will be saying, "Well, I know what that means. I know that we seem to do the same thing over and over and over as a result of RCA's." Mm. Uh, and, uh, and and funnily enough we're not getting a different result so so we we're, we're, we have these recommendations with the best intentions and we try to implement them and then the same thing keeps happening the same issues keep arising mm. so we're not solving the problems and it is it is a problem and it's a bit of a bugbear of mine so I latched onto this article when I saw it and so basically, what this team did, they, between 2010 and 2015, uh, they looked at um, uh, all root cause analyses related to sentinel events over that time in the public health system in the state of Victoria in Australia. And the type and strength of each recommendation in the RCA reports um, were, were coded so that they could you know, get, uh, stratify them in terms of whether they were weak, medium or strong. And they were using um, a, a particular um, classification system, and we'll put a link to that on, in mm. the show notes. Yes, I'm fascinated um, about this classification uh, system. Uh, y- yes, from the um, the Veterans Association Hospitals, I think they were in, in the States. I think yeah. they came up with this first of all, but I've seen it used by many different organisations. Mm. And I've even seen some modified versions. Um, but basically what it does is stratifies your recommendations into... Things like weak, which might be, oh, we'll change the policy. Mm. We'll run some training. Yeah. We'll remind people. Remind to people do about the policy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or not to do something, you yeah. know. And, and they're basically quite weak, mm. you know. Whereas strong might be something like, oh, well, we'll change the setup of the room so it's much easier to do the right thing. Yeah, we'll move
0: this medication with a similar sounding name to a different shelf from the one we keep confusing it with.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah or we'll get some software that has a forcing function and, you know, that's when you can't not put your date of birth in Mm. a form, um, on a a digital form, because it won't let you go to the next field if you don't, even if you don't want to tell them your date of birth. Classic classic forcing
0: function, making people put their email address in once and then forcing them to put it in a second time to make sure that it's it's exactly the same as the top one. That's a
1: great example, actually, Mm. Jones. So, basically... And you can read it for yourselves, but I just thought people would be interested to see how many or which which percentage of recommendations fell into each category. Mm. So, um, would you like to have a guess, Jones, of mm. of, of the 227 RCAs and the 1137 recommendations uh, associated with those RCAs, mm. what percentage were in the strong category of those Ooh, recommendations? Let's see, like, I'm just going to go for... I hope that it was over
0: 50% in the strong category. Am I right? Am well, I you right? have
1: to be an optimist to work in quality, do Jones? 8%. Oh, God.
0: That's very depressing. It's very
1: depressing. 44% medium, which is actually more than I expected, mm. to be perfectly honest, mm. and 48% were weak. And mm. in, uh, in 31 RCAs, or nearly 15% of the RCAs, only weak recommendations were made. Mm. So basically it's... It's a nice. Uh, it's a very, very nice study, mm. but it's a good reminder that you don't have to get stuck in policy and training. Mm, yeah. There are other things you can do, which are going to mm. anchor and cement and embed your changes, so you don't have the same issues arising, and you're not doing the same RCAs over and mm. over again because we're not progressing. I mean, we know that the, the, um, the, the, the sort of the. the, the safety um, uh, issues have not changed that much in in the last 10 years. We haven't made that much of a dent in them. You know, we still have around about a 10% adverse event rate Mm. and, Part of the issue, not not all, but part of the issue, I think, is just we're just not making those really strong, solid, mm. sustained changes so that mm. we we kind of fix things and move on. We're not fixing things.
0: No, or maybe next next episode uh, episode number four, we should be talking about the strong. What types of yeah. recommendations are strong?
1: Why don't we do from that?
0: RCA? So let's let's sort of put that on our uh, list of things to do. Strong recommendations are really hard, and most recommendations I see, you know, in in most organizations. Organisations are pretty much around the training and, and let's not get it wrong, training does work in the short term. Yes. It works for those people who've heard the training and can keep it in the top of their mind before something else takes over. Yeah. So it works for in the short term quite well, but it, the problem is it doesn't work in the long term. Yeah.
1: It also works if you go to your training, then you come back to your department or your ward or your mm. service and the boss says fantastic you've been to that training let's work together to implement what you learn that's when it works but if if you get back to your service and they say oh well i hope you enjoyed your training anyway back to back to business as usual (laughs) let's do the uh, 180 degree opposite thing yes that's right. Uh, (laughs) to what was said which people out there will be nodding because it often happens Mm. that's when training doesn't work yeah yeah
0: interesting and of course policies only work You know, if they are understood and if there are ways of monitoring them and so on. So, anyway, it's all very depressing. Look, weak recommendations are better than no recommendations, right? Sure, sure.
1: I'm
0: I'm sure it'd be really fascinating to know how many of those strong recommendations resulted in recurrence of the Sentinel event. That would would be very interesting. I'll I'll see if I can
1: dig something up, Jones. Mm. I don't know if there is anything like that, but let's Mm. have a look. We'll have a look.
0: So, we've got some homework to do and we shall move on directly to our next segment. So here we go. This is The Point, the segment where we focus on patients, consumers and their perspectives and the strategies to get people more involved in their own care. Um, All of us are patients at one point or another and this is the whole point of what we're doing. It is the point. (laughs)
1: Indeed, indeed, Jones. And just a quick one uh, for tonight. We did focus on this quite significantly uh, in episode two. So I I thought we'll just pick up a, a quick one for tonight. And this is a, a recent article once again, hospitalization from the patient perspective mm. um, uh, and this was I, I, I really kind of latched onto to this because it's a large study mm. uh, where the picker patient experience survey was administered to a random sample of twenty thousand patients twenty thousand yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah. just a huge, it's, beautiful it's, sample it's serious huh yeah. hospitalized between January and June. Uh, 2014, and this is in New South Wales in Australia. So, I just wanted to very briefly uh, mention some of the results mm. just out of interest. So, there was a 40% response rate. That's good. That's really pretty good. good. Pretty good. Now, respondents often reported a positive experience of being treated with dignity and respect. So, mm. I thought that's good. We, mm. Maybe we are making some progress mm. with that. So, I was really mm. happy to see that. But Almost 40 percent wanted to be more involved in decisions about their care, so mm. once so you know that's obviously something that we still need to work on. And mm. I know that's a long road because we're just not really set up for it. Yeah. you know we're set up for the clinicians to make the decisions as much as we know mm. that it should be a partnership, and as much as we're working towards that, it really does require a complete system rethink mm. to make that happen routinely, and so we're not there yet. Yeah. Um, so this just reminds us that we've got mm. some work to do. Um, Some respondents identified other problematic aspects of care, such as receiving conflicting information from different care providers. So 18% of people said that. Mm. This is a big thing for me. I I feel this is a very neglected aspect of quality. Mm. You know, you hear a lot about safety and you hear about patient-centeredness and to a lesser extent you hear about outcomes and effectiveness. But this idea of connectedness and integration... Uh, really gets uh, gets lost and yet it drives the consumers completely nuts. When yeah, get it's three like, isn't stories. there one answer yes. to this question I just asked? Exactly. Isn't there
0: one way? I, I get this a lot in uh, obstetric care. Oh, yeah. Because I think the uh, the mums who've had a new baby just go, come on, people have babies every day. Yes. There's one answer to this question, guys.
1: Yes. <laughs> and yet they get answers from five different,
0: you know, professionals, five different
1: ways. It's true. Yeah. And it, it's very distressing. Mm. Yeah, not just annoying. Um, uh. Uh that, um, that same uh, 18% felt also felt that doctors spoke in front of them as if they were not there. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> so i uh, got a little way to go with that. And once again, I think we're not sort of structurally set up mm. for that yet to be solved, you know. Mm-hmm. um and uh, And having an unplanned uh, admission or having an adverse event were mm. both very strongly associated with a poorer patient experience as you would expect yeah. so they 're just the news headlines from that enormous study that just gives a bit of a sense of well, where are we and you know mm. where do we still need to go
0: yeah, yeah, I think that 's really great, and that article we will link to also in the show notes. That is a little taste of the point. Yes. And uh, we will move on into some more. uh, I think we might talk about uh, consumer representatives in our next podcast. That's coming up. Sounds good. Yeah. So we shall move on to another segment. This one is our traditional segment. I think we've done this every time. And this is Too Long, Didn't Read. So let's just pause for a little bit of uh, light music. So Balding, this segment TLDR too long didn't read, and and I might say our beautiful music throughout our podcast, which I've forgotten to mention many times, has been I think recorded by a famous musician. Is that correct, Balding? I,
1: I've I've heard she's incredible, but you know <laughs> I, I, I I'm not worthy to speak her name, Jones. It is wonderful. It is it is a,
0: a very much a beautiful you know memory of this particular podcast.
1: There is no other music
0: quite like it, and it was recorded by balding herself
1: ah there you go that was my contribution it was it, this was all joan's idea so she's 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 done all the intellectual input and and i've i've done all the sort of the 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 existential here's a little bit of music and let's have some fun it's absolutely
0: fantastic we've had nothing but positive reports so far on the music and it certainly does indicate a change of topic and the, and the topic now is Look, there are a lot of articles out there that are just a bit too long to read. Your time is precious. You don't have time to open up every long report, particularly when, sadly, they often mention the same themes over and over again. And last time we talked about a residential care uh, investigation. This time we're getting a report from England on the same things, I think, balding.
1: Yes, yes. This is um, Improving Quality in the English NHS, A Strategy for Action, and it's a 2016 document. I quite like it and I refer to it quite a lot because it's, um, uh, it's, it's uh, amongst others, Chris Hamm and Don Berwick, uh, mm. authors, and you know, these people are you know, seriously uh, um, uh, uh, credentialed when it mm. comes to talking about this sort of thing. And they're basically saying, okay, where should the English NHS go from here? with their uh, with their quality system and their quality approach and there's some things that we can all learn from it I think and I do like it it's very clear-eyed approach to look you've actually got to know what you want to achieve you know mm. because it's really difficult to run a quality system successfully if you're not targeted at specifics around what what's the quality of care you want to provide and we need as many reminders of that as we can mm. get, I think. Um, and they also say, look, you know, inspection, which we might call compliance or accreditation, it's an important part of it. But it's it. they say this should not be confused with improvement, you know, mm. and it's a bit like... They, they call it quality assurance. It's a, bit, it's a bit like the quality control I mentioned before. And
0: actually, they, they call it weak. Yes, they which do. Which is what we've been talking about with <laughs> yes. our root cause analysis yes. recommendations. They actually say reliance on inspection is a bit weak, yeah. guys. Yeah, it is. You and know, we, it's a we bare know. minimum. We know,
1: we know that <laughs> yeah. because, you know, most, if not all, and I can't put my hand on my heart and say all, mm. but um, I can say that most uh, organisations that have been subject to a public inquiry have been accredited mm. all, all, all around the world. Yeah. And perhaps we could talk about that sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, Jones. Yeah. So, so there, there are just a few things that they have noted when they've looked around the world and said, "Look, what are the things that high performing health services do?" Mm. So, I thought uh, I'll just um, just briefly skim through them because if people are thinking about their quality system and thinking about where they want to go with it and whether it's achieving what they want it to achieve, what, what they'd like it to achieve, this is a bit of a checklist for you. So, does it have specific and quantified goal, goals for improving care? linked to a compelling vision of the future. So, what do you want to be like in a year's time at point of care? What do you, what do you want your consumers to actually be experiencing? And then systematic, transparent measurement and reporting of progress in delivering these goals. Mm.
0: Oh, measurement the comes measurement. in here. Measurement yes, is critical.
1: Yes yes, 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 Critical, really critical. But, of course, it's easier to develop your measures if you know what you want to know, mm. if you know what you're trying to achieve, mm. if you know. So... Uh, the third one is cultures in which quality and safety of patient care are valued and leaders work together to bring about improvements. A commitment to listening to and learning from the experiences of patients and carers and assuring their full participation in design, redesign, assessment and governance. Mm. Continual reduction of fear in the workforce, which I find a very interesting one but mm. probably very relevant, and engagement of the workforce in the design and redesign of work and processes – the use of an established method of quality improvement supported by training uh, at all levels of staff and leaders. So that's that-
0: interesting, you know. They they talk a lot about having a framework for quality improvement. The thing I like the most about that is they don't say, like everyone else does, you must use the PDCA no, cycle. they don't. Like, And that's for another podcast because I don't like it. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway but they do say you need a method you do that everyone knows this is how we follow the pathway for improvement
1: yes and 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 essentially Mm. you know any improvement method is uh, what are we trying to achieve where are we starting um what do we need to do Mm. Uh, do it did we do what we set out to do here's
0: the recipe for what you follow if you're trying to improve something Yeah, yeah yeah
1: and and I always say you know if It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be fatty or jargony. It just Mm. has to do the job, whatever quality improvement system you use. And then um, clinical leadership, teamwork and engagement, and boards and senior leaders who accept personal responsibility for quality and safety and themselves develop deep expertise in quality improvement, which I am a great advocate for. Now, I don't expect all the board members to develop deep expertise, but executives out there... I reckon that if you knew ten percent more about the nuts and bolts mm. of sustained improvement, that your organisation would make a big leap.
0: Mm. Yeah, deep expertise. Mm. I feel like that's a step too far. I was, I was right with you till then, Baldy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Going board members with deep expertise. You know. Uh, I think that's a, that's a high expectation, isn't it? It, it is a high expectation. Obviously, yes. high-performing organisations will have some of this. Yes, and it like may if be. If you're on the board, for example, Baldy, it may, it may,
1: <laughs> it may be. It's a terrifying thought. It may be maybe one or two people on. on yeah, the board. right. Yeah. But I'm 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 all for executives, and you know, I, when we talk, say deep expertise, I guess we'd have to kind of explore that. Mm. But just knowing what it takes to put a sustainable change in place in their mm. organization even understanding that would just be so helpful to all the people down there trying to do that every yeah, day yeah, yeah. you know
0: yeah how to manage resistance? Mm-hmm. What to change yep. management techniques? Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which which of your systems are the ones that are really powerful when it comes to yeah. change? You know, yeah. who needs to pull what lever? Just that yep. sort of thing would be really helpful.
0: The thing I liked about this document altogether that it's it's a long document, but it's kind of inspiring. It's kind yep. of a it's more of a it's more of a here's the framework and this is the way we work. It's not bureaucratic as such. No. It's more a kind of you know blue sky inspirational document which yes. i find don't doesn't come out of the nhs in england that often it's <laughs> it's more we're introducing this department it's got 30000 people yes. we will inspect you <laughs> That's kind of the the experience I have of the NHS. Well, this
1: is the King's Fund, and I find that the King's Ah, Fund do tend to be a lot more pragmatic, right? Yeah, uh, and uh, and really beautifully evidence based. But all their stuff's very, very easy easy to read and easy to absorb. So, um, and once again, neither Jones nor I get any kickbacks, unfortunately. But if anyone out there is thinking about it, um, uh, we we just recommend what we think is helpful and, and useful.
0: Yeah, and we did say this was too long, didn't read, but yeah. actually it's it's a really easy read. Yes. it's a nicely laid out document. It only is about twenty five pages yep. or so. Yep. It's not a bad it's not a bad document. I, I think out of all the TLDRs that we've talked about in three yes. three weeks three, three episodes, <laughs> this is my favourite. Because this one is just a, just a really nice, easy, not too much jargon in here, actually. No, there's
1: not. Yeah. No. Mm. Yeah. Very straightforward.
0: So, there you go. We are recommending you go to Ham, Berwick and Dixon, Improving Quality in the English NHS. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. And we are nearly done.
1: So let's move on. Balding,
0: we're talking about a new segment actually, cracking quality.
1: Cracking quality. Well, Jones, I thought it's easy to get stuck when you talk about quality, uh, talking about all the things that don't work very well. And we should talk about the things that do work Ah, well. so an example from the field. And learn from them and celebrate them. Mm. So um, I've come up with one here, but I'll be really looking forward to yours in the future Mm. because I know you'll have a zillion of them. (laughs) But this is one that I came across uh, last year, uh, and um, uh, this is from Western Health uh, in Victoria that I've done a bit of work with over the years. Mm. And this is a a, a fabulous um, nurse unit manager. On a subacute ward, and we know that subacute and, and a transition to aged care ward, so mm. long re- length of stay, long and difficult, mm. uh, complex yep. um, uh, uh, patients. Um, they had a real problem with um, with pressure injuries, mm. and they kind of couldn't crack it. Mm. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Western Health. Um, has introduced best care. Once again, I'm very happy to say using my strategic model and they've built on it and improved it and they've got this amazing best care set of goals and and Mm. a whole of organisation strategy. And Mel Whittick, who's the fabulous uh, nurse unit manager there, she thought, well, all these pressure injuries, that's not best care. No. It's about time we really did something Mm. about this. And Mel is not someone who's done a lot of leadership or Mm. management training or quality training or change training, but she just gets it. Yeah and uh, And so I interviewed her too, so that the, there's a link to that on my website as well if people would like to pursue it and um and it was as I was interviewing her, I was just going through and ticking off, oh my goodness, she knows all mm. the key absolute targets mm. that you have to hit for great leadership, yep. Without even knowing it, yeah, she knows yeah,
0: them. So he—that's why someone made her a, a manager. Oh, of a war, right! Yeah, oh, yeah! <laughs> Some bright yeah. spark went. Oh, she'd be good at this. Yeah,
1: and and just oh, I was just blown away. And yeah. And they, after a few false starts, which mm-hmm. she talks about in the interview. Yeah they managed to go 525 days without Ooh. a new pressure injury.
0: Awesome. That's fantastic. It is
1: awesome. That is that is unbelievable because yes. that's, you know,
0: over a year in a subacute ward is, yes. is really beyond what you would expect. Yes,
1: yes. And on the yep. day I interviewed her, they had their first pressure injury in 525 yeah. days. <laughs> okay. Right. Reset the clock. <laughs> yes, which yeah. is exactly what they did. So, so I, I just thought, Jones, very, very quickly, this is what I picked up from Mel about leading change and improvement. Yep. Start where you really are. Don't sugarcoat it. Mm. Be really clear. Get your data. Don't pretend you're anywhere but where you are.
0: Here's our baseline. The only way is
1: up. Yeah, that's right. Don't sugarcoat mediocrity, but don't dwell on it either, mm. is what I found mm. We're moving L. swiftly away from yes. this baseline. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> then start where they are. Work with your staff. And this is very much what you mm. were talking about before, Jones. Work with the people who need to change to achieve the greatness you want to achieve. Yeah. So, define what it means to them to make this change. How things would look and feel every day if you were mm. able to achieve what you wanted to achieve, which in their case was zero pressure injuries. Remember, and, and this comes from me, but this is my interpretation really of what Mel was saying, information drives understanding but feelings drive action. Mel was saying, mm. I wanted people to think about their fathers and their mothers if they were in our yes. ward. And would they want them to get a stage three pressure injury? yeah. You know? yep. Tell the story. What's it like to have a stage three pressure yep. injury? Give it a you human mean? face, absolutely, yep. and work with the people who have to make the changes. Mm. Then develop a set of shared non-negotiable goals and targets for greatness and stick with them, mm. whatever happens. The next one is embrace the hard yards together. There are going to be times when that pressure injury happens mm. and you've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself up and say, okay, we're going to start again. Yep. So it's, it's not going to be easy, but we're, we're, we're doing it together. Mm. The next one, make it as easy as possible to win. Mel was just great. At, if there was a new, um, say, uh, occupational therapist or a new physio or a new registrar coming onto the ward, mm. she said, I sit down with them and I say, this is what we're doing yeah. and we all have to do it. So this is about... I'm going to make it as easy as I can
0: for Mm -hmm. you to do
1: that, but you've got to play your part. And
0: well. that's also not let it, allowing it to drop off through attrition of yes. staff. When staff turn over, that's really hard. Yeah. That's definitely a, a trigger point or a risk point. Yeah, it is. And it sounds yes. like she really approached that well. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah absolutely. And then model the behaviour you want to see in the team. Mm. You know, Mel said if something needs to be done, a piece of equipment needs to be um, got from somewhere or moved or something has to happen to prevent that pressure injury for that person – and there's no one else to do it. I do it. Yeah. I don't wait for someone to turn up mm. because I'm part of that team too. And mm. so just modelling that great behaviour. Yeah. So I just thought they were terrific, lovely, simple, but so powerful um, lessons in leading change. Yes. On the ground,
0: incredible leadership. And leadership is the way that all of these things happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that simple, but you know, that sounds amazing. It'd be great to have some more examples. We shall bring you some more examples in the we future. Will. So I think that brings us almost to the end of our podcast. Thank you very much, Balding. And you've been listening to our podcast, No Harm Done. Uh, We will try and put a timestamp into our show notes so that if you want to only listen to The Point or some other segment, you can. Um, We would like you to give us an iTunes review because other than that, no one will find us, will they, Balding?
1: They won't. And please feel free to get out there and rip into us. I know. I mean, (laughs) just just to to tell us what you think. We would really appreciate the feedback.
0: We do love the people who've been tweeting at us and uh, saying thank you for the podcast. That's wonderful. So you can contact us at Qualcat. That's me. And uh, that's Jones. And at Kathy Balding. That's Balding. And uh, we have got uh, another way of interacting. We said leave a question on our website. Yes. NoHarmDonePodcast.com
1: All right. I think we are done. We are done. So uh, how do we sign off? Uh, we say... Well, wishing everyone a quality month, of course, Jones, <laughs> from... Uh, we're, we're quality people, aren't we? We, we try. <laughs> we, I don't know we always are, Jones, but we try. We're the quality cats, Balding and Jones. Yes, quality cats. See you later. Bye.